Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Visual Effects Insiders podcast. I'm your host, Scott Cedarleaf of Cedarleaf VFX, and today we're going to be talking to Mara Bryan. Mara is a visual effects producer working freelance within the UK film industry. She has over 25 years of experience working in many areas of visual effects in different capacities and on many different films. She has also worked within some of the leading VFX companies, including Weta Digital and Framestore. She's been passionate about technology enabling creativity from the outset and continues to be excited about new advances in the use of technology in filmmaking. Mara is a New Zealander, but has lived and worked in the UK for almost all her career. So without any further delay, let's talk to Mara. Hello, Mara. Hi, Scott. How are you? Very well. Good. Very well, thank you. Good. How are it you? Is, I'm, I'm doing well. I'm drinking my coffee where you're drinking either tea or an adult beverage at this time it's, it's a little early for adult beverages but i'm sure that will follow <laughs> well good well mara thank you so much for coming on the podcast i really appreciate you taking the time out um you know we, we were saying before we started that uh, things are a bit different now we we do have time to do the things we normally or typically wouldn't do absolutely so, so it's, yeah. uh, it's nice to be able to have you chat about what you do as a, as a VFX producer in the industry. So are, are you guys uh, adopting well to the, the, the current conditions? Um, yes. Uh, I, I finished um, my last film just, you know, almost timed it perfectly with the lockdown in the UK. Mm-hmm. So I finished the film, picked my son up from school and, you know, when his school closed and, um, then, uh, you know, we've been at home since then. But, you know, a lot of the big VFX houses in, in London made the transition to working from home for everybody working remotely mm-hmm. very quickly, very smoothly. It's almost as if they uh, must have done some pre-planning, you know. Yeah. So as, as I understand it, they are they're all working. And, and we have some work, I have some work to pick up on the film in May. So I'll be doing um some more stuff then but there's no shooting of course none at all right yeah we had a couple of shows that we were just right in the middle of in the um they did a force majeure which i I read in the contracts before but i said well what what's that i have to go back and look what that was an act of god and and you know everything is shut down and so we're just waiting to hear we because we don't typically get involved on the post side uh, so right. we're, just, we're on standstill. So it's been a good time to, you know, kind of clean up the equipment and get everything ready to go, get organized again and do, like you say, do the things that you typically don't have time to do. So, yeah, yeah, so it, it's been good. Well, I'm glad to hear that you guys were able to transition, transition easily. Um, so I, I'm hearing from some of our colleagues here on the, in the States, um, that you know they were adjusting well too but i guess it just depends on where they were in their projects some projects were ramping up and just yes. got, put the pause buttons and others are still in post but they're yes. they're ch- waiting for vendors to kind of get up get caught up to speed and being able to deliver the shots remotely so it's just very interesting it that's a whole other podcast i think some after the fallout of this <laughs> just oh, probably how- a series of them yes i should <laughs> think so yeah. exactly well, and then excellent. there's going to be a, a tremendous rush and sort of, you know, when we, when we do start uh, lifting 
um, lockdown protocols, there'll be the tremendous rush to get everything back into prep and, and oh, into yeah. that was hovering just before we all got locked down. So, yeah, you know what? what? That's going to be interesting too, because are you going to be able to still keep the same vendors? Are people still going to be who you kind of locked down on the show? Are they going to still be able to, you know, ramp up with, with everything that's going on? So yeah, interesting times indeed. I don't know. It's going to be, it's, I don't think it'll take long. It's everybody's pretty resourceful, but like you say, it, it will be a, it will be an adjustment. It's not going to be as easy as everybody thinks. But no, there'll be, there'll be a desperate scramble for a while because all, you know, all the talent, all their contracts, all the stuff that they were contracted to do is going to have to slide and mm -hmm. all, all the legal teams are going to have to get into the minutiae of that. And there's going to be a, a bun fight for a couple of months and then it will all settle down again. So there'll be a tremendous appetite for new material. Yeah, I'm, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. what Mark and I were saying that too, that it's just going to be really interesting just to see what's going to come out of this as far as, just as you said, the, the new material and all the people who are locked down. You know, hey, I'm finally going to write that screenplay I've always wanted to write. That's a point, actually, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Why haven't I done one of my own? I know, I know. That's just like, geez, let's see. Hopefully we inspired someone out there. Who knows? A budding, a budding screenplay. Absolutely. We'll, we'll, well, Mara, tell us about you. Um, um, how you, well, I know it's, that's a big question as far as, I mean, obviously uh, people who are in the industry quite a while. There's quite a story to tell, but just you know, focusing on, on what we're talking about here is just getting people interested or at least exposed to different, uh, different jobs and different roles in within the industry, in, you know? Yes. So you, yes. you are now a VFX producer. Is that correct? You're freelance now or are you? Yes, I, I am a VFX producer and I, I am freelance now. Um, as I was for many years before I became a mother, um, mm -hmm. And in fact, I was a supervisor for a number of years again before I became a parent. Mm -hmm. um, so I've, whilst my son was uh, at junior, small and at junior school, I worked in a lot of the larger visual effects houses um, just because of the, you know, uh, sort of predictability of, of working for a company. Um, but I went freelance again a couple of years ago now that my son's older and so I am now a jobbing visual effects producer um, mm -hmm. Sort of going from one production to another Excellent, so then you're you just came off. Are you allowed to say what you, you just came off of? I don't know if that's yeah, I think so. Yep. Uh, I, I've just come off Bond 25 No Time to Die, um, which is the release we finished in March I wasn't on the shoot. I was only uh, asked to come on for post-production to help them out mm -hmm. um, uh, because I know, I know the, the uh, producers very well. Um, and the release of that has been delayed now until Thanksgiving. Mm. So, there yes. you go. There you go. <laughs> We, we'll, we'll let everybody read into that. <laughs> the, yeah, yeah. Why, why the big push? And, but you think they knew that, though? Did you think they knew that was a, they were going to delay? Or did, I guess they didn't. I thought they were going to release it. But then, you know, how do you, how do you gauge what the studio is going to do at that point? Well, I think uh, 
Bond was one of the first films to actually push their release, you know, of, of a bunch of others that then followed suit. Okay. Um, and I know they were talking about it for about a week before they did it. And the date that they announced it sticks in my head because it's also the date that, that we, we delivered our last visual effects shots, ironically, mm -hmm. um, which was the 13th of March. So they, but they had been talking about it for about a week. So whatever advice they were getting, the producers in the studio, this is, um, whatever ad advice they were getting was saying, look, you know, given what's happened and it, of course it started in China where they shut all the cinemas and went into lockdown. Yeah. And China is a huge market for the bond. So that already was ringing alarm bells. Oh boy. Um, and then, when it started to dawn on everybody that large parts of the rest of the world were going to have to follow suit, it just didn't make sense for them yeah. to try and release the film. So, um, the, but they were, it was all over the newspapers when the bond was delayed um, due to coronavirus. Uh, yeah. But they did, they were one of the first to actually announce it. Wow. Well, mm. that, yeah, that's interesting just to see you know, that they did. I think it's a good decision, obviously. What, what else? Why, if to take the risk that you're not going to get your big theater jaw, like you said, it's it's a theater type of movie. I mean, Bond Twenty Five. I I love Bond too. Yeah, <laughs> it's just hard to believe that you know it's this the this gosh twenty five films. Is that what that means? Bond Twenty Five, Twenty Five films. Yes, it's the twenty fifth Bond film. Yeah, wow, and, that's and significant. Also due to do an IMAX release. Oh um, wow. So it is very much a theatrical film, you know. It was a, a lot of it has been has been shot on sixty five mil. Oh, see, um, yeah. It, you can't watch that on your big screen TV at home. That's not no, the... or on your phone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I'm sorry. I see. I do. I, I get sidetracked with things, but before Bond, then obviously, let's go back to you know early days. I know in in your bio, you're you were born in New Zealand. And you That's went to right. college, college at Cal. And then um, from there, then you just, did you go, did you have the inclination, obviously studying um, video graphics, is that you did want to do film in the visual effects? Well, I did or? not for quite a long time. I sort of stumbled into Cal, which was a video graphics company in London back in the sort of heyday of um, commercials production in Britain. And, you know, the sort of late 80s and early 90s where all the, all the owners of companies like that were driving Ferraris and all the rest of it. Um, <laughs> and there was a lot of money knocking around and a lot of innovation, you know. Yeah. Um, and Quantel were early on the scene. And I worked in this video graphics house. And we, because of the people we had, some of whom have gone on to be some of the cleverest people in the industry, like Roger Guyatt from ILM, supervisor, mm -hmm. um, was a software writer at, at Cal in London. Um, we innovated a lot of tools in the early days of digital film. And when a job came up at the computer film company in London, I, uh, which, who really were the first company in, in Europe to be doing digital effects for film hmm. I jumped at it and and that was my sort of uh launch pad I suppose and it was just this incredibly steep learning curve for all of us and me included um about film 
mm -hmm. and about digital film and about how to shoot for digital effects. Um, and so I was in, you know, I, I was lucky to, to get into digital film at, at a very early stage in the, in the world, but especially in Britain. Mm -hmm. Well, that would be really interesting just because you, since it's, it was such a new, you guys probably were setting the standards for how, how things would progress in digital film. Yes, I think a lot of that was coming from the States. You know, the, um, the industry, the film industry, especially at that sort of cutting edge in, in the UK was, was, way, was, was far behind the US at that stage. Okay. Um, it's rapidly caught up since, you know, but yeah. in those early days, we were very much taking our lead from what ILM or uh, DD or big companies like that were doing, who, who were full of incredibly clever people who were building scanners, you know, and film recorders and, <laughs> um, and all that sort of thing. And, uh, but um, of course it, it, you know, it developed in the UK fairly quickly as soon as more productions started coming over here to shoot. But that really, it really was the beginning of it. And yes, we were, we were making it up as we, as we went along. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that could be very exciting at times, but also very terrifying at the, at the yeah. same time. This is like, oh my, where, where are we going with this? And where can this go? And, but, you know, it's probably just like anything when you're so immersed into it that you, you, you're just thinking more day to day of just solving problems as opposed to, you know, forecasting where things can be going. Um, yes. Industry progress. Yes. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So after Cal, then, then what was your next step? What was the next progression? Well, the next progression was computer, computer film company. And um, I joined computer film company when they were about to, or they'd shot, but were about to start post-production on Bertolucci's Little Buddha. Um, some of which, uh, that which was shot on a mixture of film formats, 65 mil, VistaVision, um, four perf, all sorts of things. And all the camera sheets were in Italian. <laughs> I remember that. Um, and uh, we did some pretty innovative stuff for that. Nobody, nobody else had ever done digital effects for six on 65 scanned from and then shot back out to 65 mil film. Oh, wow. Uh, before that, I don't believe. Um, and so I was at CFC, I can't remember, not, not tremendously long because what happened then is that, you know, uh, production started shooting, Hollywood production started shooting more in the UK and I got whisked off to work on uh, Judge Dredd the Sylvester Stallone oh, yeah. mm -hmm. way back in the day um, by the company who were doing the visual effects who were at that time called Mass Illusion and were based, they were Doug Trumbull's outfit um, based in Massachusetts, but they sent teams out and I became the sort of UK visual effects coordinator for the visual effects team. Oh, and that was the beginning of a long uh, period of, of freelance work for me, where I went from, I didn't go back into a company for a long time. I just went from production to production after, after Judge Dredd. 
And more of the producer role or were you still doing a lot of kind of dipping back into this? Uh, I'm sorry, you said you were a supervisor at one point. Was that where you were doing both at the time? Well, the, the thing about being in at the very early stage is that um, there were very few people around who had any kind of level of knowledge uh, or expertise <laughs> in, you know, digital film techniques. And so I just kind of was the person. Uh, and... So after, after Judge Dredd, um, the next thing I did, because of connections I'd made at Computer Film Company, I was asked to go on to my first bond, which was GoldenEye. And I was the only person, and I had a budget of £10,000 for a few opticals. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> You're kidding. So I just, I just had to literally make it up as I went along and stay in conversations with the producers and the director and the art department and everything just, just to work it out, work out how we were going to do it, how much it was going to cost, how long it was going to take, all those sorts of things which were completely new to most of those people, you mm -hmm. know. Yeah. Um, and after that, it started to become... Uh, more mainstream digital effects started to be all you know digital visual effects started to become more mainstream but um, I think I had something like 150 shots on on GoldenEye digital oh shot and that was the biggest digital shot count that anybody in the UK had ever done congratulations point. Mara that's that's <laughs> and then can you imagine if you only if you show with just 150 shots it wouldn't even be a vision you wouldn't even think about it exactly I'm trying to do the math here uh, 150 versus 1600 for yes. the latest bond and I'm trying so what year was that for GoldenEye I don't oh, know gosh. 90 95, 1995. Oh gosh, so tw 15 years. 20. Tw 25 years. 25 years. See, that's why I don't, uh, that's why I like to talk. I don't like to do math very well. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, again, I'm just trying to understand like just the exponential curve from 150 shots to 1500 or 1600 in the Bond series, you know, that's just remarkable. I'm going to do the yeah. math after our, our interview here. I just need to know what, uh, how, many, how many shots that takes in, in that time span. That's just yeah. amazing. So, yeah. Wow. And I loved Golden. Or that, that was a great, great Bond film for me. I liked that one. It was a lot of fun to work on. Really, really a lot of fun. Yeah. So then after Bond, um, you, what, where, where, Where'd you go from there? I think. Well, I did. I did a bunch. I did four bonds, and um, then I went. I decided to uh, go back to New Zealand mm -hmm. for a time. Um, and long story short, oh, I did various other bits and pieces. I did uh, a film in Australia with uh, Alex Proyas called Dark City. Mm -hmm. um, Golly, it's so far, so long ago, I'm struggling to remember now. But I, d I did a film in Norway, which was tremendous fun. Quite a small film, but that was, that was fun. But I ended up back in New Zealand, and I had met the people from Weta, mm -hmm. um, just because I, I sort of mutual connections and friends. And I ended up at Weta for a while. Mm -hmm. um, 
I was there uh, at the very early stages of Avatar when we were putting together the um, crew to go out to shoot with Lightstorm. Mm -hmm. um, and I met Neil Blomkamp at that stage because they were trying to get Halo off the ground. And that was oh, why yeah. they originally employed me was to production manage Halo. But um, something happened anyway. The studio pulled the finance for it and, and, and Halo went down. And so Eileen Moran, who was head of production there, just sort of deployed me around the company where, where she needed me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I ended up doing bits and bobs with the mocap department prepping for, for the shoot. But ultimately, I ended up being the assets manager hmm. for Avatar, um, which involved, you know, all the, all the assets departments, which were huge on that film. Oh, as I you can imagine. Can yeah. The the oh. the layout we were all in one building and it was the layout the models the creatures rigging and the textures department and camera department were all, oh, all goodness in my building um and that was an incredible period for all of us you know any of us who who have caught up since and and this continues to this day there there is a kind of shared uh i don't know like like going through the blitz or the war or something like that you know <laughs> yeah. that, you shared that, that would that changed you forever um yeah. and i just remember looking at some of the dailies you know we had this fantastic internal viewing system at, at weta and you'd be making up a playlist or for some reason just looking at some of the dailies and you would go we made that we wow. actually, you know, it was so, the quality of the work was so staggering, especially considering, you know, how long ago it was that. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was actually a privilege to, to work on it. So. Yeah. I, just, just recently too, just watching Avatar again, I know again, how just everything is with you. Know, people are viewing things on tablets now and iPads and computer screens, but I was, um, traveling and I just was flipping through some of the movies that because I was just didn't know what to watch and then they had Avatar on and just watching it again um, after you know how many years went since it's been released it's just like it really it, you get totally immersed in the story yeah. and it's just uh, even looking at it on a smaller screen uh, is even then it's just visually amazing but it's yeah. just it yeah it, it is remarkable just to what that sh what that film did? Um, I, I cannot wait to see what they do with the other. Oh, the next, yeah, yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, that's going to be really interesting to see. I mean, so much anticipation on that. It's uh, yes, well, <laughs> so, such a long time elapsed. You know, it's true. I mean, we're going to have to watch it all over again to see where the story left off. But I think yeah. most people still know how exactly how the story left off because it was such a such an amazing picture, such an amazing yeah. film. So yeah. Okay, and then from from working with Weta, uh, we're almost to we're almost to present day. I think we're we're getting close. So uh, yeah, getting there. I came back <laughs> to um, uh, I came back to Britain with my I had I took maternity leave for a period while I was at um, Weta, and I came back to Britain with my young son when he was. 
um, four, mm -hmm. I think. And I was working, I'd been doing some, some remote work for um, Prime Focus, but just because I knew uh, a couple of the people who were heading up Prime Focus in London, and um, they wanted me to come to Britain to be their bidding producer, which I did for a while. Um, as a bidding producer? As a bidding producer, yeah. Okay, okay. But, it, was, it, was, it fitted in very well with, with having a young child, you know, it was sort of, um, I could make my own deadlines and make my own hours and oh. uh, that, that worked pretty well. Um, and it was quite an interesting um, sort of sidebar to, to what I've done before because I learned a tremendous amount more about how visual effects budgets worked Mm. and at, at different scales and um made a lot of made a lot of contacts you know and from there i actually i went to imaginarium studios um to be the capture unit producer on the force awakens star wars 7 oh wow at 7 and that was that was i mean working with imaginarium was fabulous i oh, yeah. absolutely loved it <laughs> absolutely loved it loved andy circus loved the I, because i think i'm part geek you know <laughs> um, loved the technology uh loved what we were doing on on star wars and we had we had a great time we were up at pinewood for the whole of that summer yeah uh, and then I sort of did the lead into Jungle Book with Andy and realised that it was going to be brutal and that I couldn't, as a, as a parent, do the hours that, mm. that they were going to be doing and ended up at DNEG for a time. And then at Framestore, which I absolutely loved, partly because they have a virtual production department and I, I've spent more time with Framestore's virtual production department than doing any other single thing because that is my great passion and where I want to go with all of this you know <laughs> um, is virtual production and and then at a, a particular time when my son started secondary school I went right I can go freelance again now and, mm -hmm. and so that brings you pretty much up to date <laughs> well I mean it's just fascinating and I think you said something you know just kind of tracking back that you're you're kind of a geek a techno geek I mean I think a lot of people in the industry are but it's interesting to see how you were back in the Cal days is that you started with you know kind of geeking out with new tech and new processes absolutely no you're and, right you're absolutely right yeah so yeah so it's interesting to see how people track to you know kind of what they what they're interested in, what drives them, what they're passionate about. So, I mean, it's obvious that it, you know, kind of your, your lineage of film, it's, it's really kind of neat just to see, you know, that progression of, of underlying technology. And I know we can get on a whole other discussion about the virtual production and, and where that can go. But yes. uh, <laughs> and that's just so exciting, especially with, with all the, the digital capture and, the you know the stuff obviously everybody's talking about the Mandalorian and you know all the neat things that are happening there. So yes, but, um, yeah. Well, Mara, this is a perfect time for us to take a break. We're, we uh, we got up to present day, so when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about kind of specifics of of a day to day role as a, a freelance visual effects producer. So 
Uh, Mara, stay with us. We're going to be right back after this break. Hi, everybody. We're back with Mara Bryan, visual effects producer. Um, Mara, how are you Hi. again? We're back at it. We're going to hit you hard with these questions now. So hopefully you're ready. Oh, I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> okay. So uh, before the break, we got up to present day. So um, let's get more nuts and bolts as far as you know, the listeners out there who are looking to, you know, climb the ranks or go different directions within the industry. I know um, it's interesting to see where people go and how they get where they are going. But um, the idea here is just trying to help people not fast track, but just make better decisions for them to kind of yeah. their, you know, push their career along. So starting yeah. with what, what to you is, is kind of like a day to day. I know it varies, but I know there's also a lot of similarities, you know, for each picture. Um, sure. But just from your experience, what's, what's a typical day look like? I think, um, you know, being a visual effects producer uh, or being part of the, the visual effects team on a production, um, there are three phases, obviously, as, as there are to the production. There's prep and pre-production, mm -hmm. and then there's the shoot, and then there's post-production. And they're very specific in terms of what they require of you on a daily basis. Okay. Uh, in terms of your actual tasks, but but to sort of take a step back from from that, my you know my overall function as the visual effects producer is to facilitate the production of the visual effects. So that means uh, liaising with with all the stakeholders, the the director for the, for the creative input, mm -hmm. the producers for for the financial accountability and and what is available to to make the visual effects the visual effects supervisor obviously who is is the creative go-to person mm -hmm. um, for all the team members and the heads of department on a film okay uh, and um, and then all the individual sort of stakeholders the the special effects supervisor the uh, production designer the stunt supervisor, all those people, mm -hmm. um, the DOP, and and maintaining communication and effective communication with all of those people in order to, um, particularly in, in pre-production, identify what the body of the work is. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I would be going out and uh, communicating that body of work to the visual effects houses. So you know, whoever we've decided is mo most appropriate or has the capacity to take on the, the work that we have for them and working out a budget and a schedule, making sure that um, the briefs are clear and, and we know where we're going and helping the visual effects supervisor devise a method of shooting that suits the DOP and, and the art department and 
um, you know, all, all of the various creative stakeholders on the film. Wow. So it's an endless, endless series of meetings pre-production. <laughs> <laughs> well, give, give me, uh, and uh, myself included here, I, uh, give us an idea, typically how long is prep? I guess, obviously, depending on how visual effects heavy the, the, the picture is, but is that, uh, is that typically like a production, um, three months or six months? It just depends, I guess. But Never long enough is the <laughs> answer to that. Uh, okay, I've never, had I got that in good. quotes. Never long enough. I like that. Never long enough. <laughs> um, uh, I've had I've had prep periods of um, anything from sixteen to down to eight weeks. There was the Fox film I did a couple of years ago when we only had, well, in fact, that's no, not true. We had about ten weeks of prep, but it was quite a complex film. Ten weeks wasn't really enough. Twelve weeks is really kind of minimum for. Um, a visual a, a a film with any scope of you know visual effects yeah. work, yeah. Uh, and then you know during that time you're putting your you're putting your team together your visual effects team together, mm -hmm. um, you're figuring out who you need on set, and in what quantities and uh, and working with the first AD to to figure out uh, how that's going to work with the shooting schedule. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, hopefully at the end of that pre-production period, you're ready to go and ready to shoot and everybody knows what they're doing. Right. You, you, and then you got to get your coordinator, then you got to get your data wrangler, then you got to get your, you know, people who I talk to then it, it either, you know, obviously the producer and then I work with the coordinator. So, yeah. and then it trickles down to even the sub vendors that, that come in and do work. So it's just like, oh my word, it's just. Yes, the people who, you know, you want to do body scans, you've got to work with the um, uh, assistant directors to make sure that the days that the people who are going to come in sure. and do the body scans, um, those cast members will be available and won't be whisked away from you or aren't away on location or, you know, all that yeah. sort of thing yeah. has to be scheduled separately to the overall film schedule so the visual effects shooting schedule has to wow um is based obviously on the shooting schedule but but there's some push and pull between the shooting schedule and what this and what visual effects need right as well so then we then we go into post where you know again i'm more familiar with or not post excuse me we go into to shoot into post. yeah into production so that's fun that, I mean, obviously, you get to see your hard work and prep come in, and then off we go into into shooting. So, yes, I mean, I funnily enough, shooting is my least favorite bit. <laughs> you basically you figured out how everything's going to go. Some mm -hmm. of it goes wrong, and at that point, you run around the hair on fire and sort those problems out. Yes, but hopefully, you know, if you've had a decent amount of prep time and um, and you've got the right team on on the ground, right? On the shoot, your your job, my job, is reporting and problem solving, mm -hmm. and then increasingly, you know, as um, schedules get shorter and as you get towards the end of the shoot, talking with editorial, who by that. But by that stage, will have come on board. So, okay. talking to the editor, uh, being part of hiring a visual effects editorial team, setting all that up, and then you know you're you're segueing 
almost as you're shooting into post. And then we go into post. And I have a, a kind of a two-part question for you because I think, um, you know, obviously you, you were involved in the, the latest Bond. You came in at post. Um, you didn't have any, you know, hands in with prep or shooting. Uh, so that's a two-part question. And, and do you find it different or worse uh, to come in to a, a show in after post uh, having not been on the pre and, and the shoot or the shoot. um yeah. yeah it was it was a challenge to come in with no knowledge whatsoever but the advantage of having done bonds in the past is that i pretty much knew the format you know okay yeah yeah you had four under your belt you kind of understood yeah yeah, I, I kind of know roughly how many action sequences there, there are going to be, what they're going to involve. There's no animation to speak of, you know, so there's no character animation or anything like that. It, it is, it's pretty straightforward environments and stunts and production work, you know. So it, 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 was, it was tough to come in and, and it was a couple of weeks of a very steep learning curve just to get my head around the body of the work but after that it was no different to to any other film that mm -hmm. I've done. it's definitely an advantage to to see it all the way through because um you can see uh, ahead of time any problems that are coming up to to meet you and and solve them before they happen you know mm -hmm. and it it's i think i think you probably in an ideal world would start in prep and, and go all the way through as the producer, as the visual effects producer. Other people come and go, obviously, depending on the needs. You know, there are, there are people who are only on for shoot um, and there are people who are only on for post. But, but in terms of, you know, the visual effects producer, you are the gatekeeper for all things financial mm -hmm. um, and all things organisational. And to have the continuity from prep all the way through to the end of post is ideal really yeah that's a good point that's a really good point so, yeah so i just a question on post too i know um there is a timeline and there's a deadline to post and then we won't talk about your your false start on, <laughs> <laughs> on the last one but do, yeah. do you typically um is you know your comment about never long enough in the prep is there is that kind of the same kind of um feeling in, in the post that there's never enough time in post to get things done? Um, would you like more time or is it just really the, the studio has a release date and this is when they're, uh, this is when we have to hit it and, you know, decide if there's reshoots and just, you know, all this other stuff. So is it yeah. just, is it, is it just the same kind of hectic in post depending on? It doesn't, it, it isn't always. And again, it, it depends how, you know, um, you, you schedule turnovers to the visual effects vendors mm -hmm. and you hopefully build enough of a buffer into that schedule that people don't feel rushed. So okay. there was one film, for instance, that I did um, a little while ago where I said, we have to start turning material over to the vendors halfway through the shoot. Oh, so boy. this is the order in which we need to turn over in order to hit the deadline that you've given us. 
And once I had brought that out in the open, presented a schedule where all this was laid out sequentially, discussed Mm -hmm. it with the editor, with the director and the producer, um, and everybody was on board with it, it just became part of the fabric of how we were making the film. Okay. It doesn't always happen as logically as that, but (laughs) at least if you start out with that idea, okay, backing out of this deadline, I need this and this and this to happen by this date and then this and this and this. It doesn't have to be um, hectic and undoable and everybody doing weekends and, you know, 18-hour days and all the rest of it. In reality, the director particularly will push as hard as he or she can creatively Mm -hmm. for as long as they can because that's (laughs) their job. (laughs) Exactly. And bless them for doing so, because all they want to do is make the film better and better and better. But, of course, at some point, that has a time implication and often has a budget implication too. And both of those become my problem or the the visual effects producer's problem. And at some point, you have to say, we can't do any more, you know. Yeah, you have Uh, to take a stand. Yeah, it just... uh, Or yeah, or just at least communicate communicate what the what the capabilities and limitations are at that Absolutely. given time. Yeah. So yeah. well, excellent. This is a great great segue into you. Know, you kind of touched on it. Obviously, it's um, it's hard to answer this question. I would say after hearing from you from the pre to the the shoot to post that you know every job has its ups and downs, and every job has its good points and bad points, and I don't want that to be a cliche kind of question to every person I interview, but it is interesting where there, we do see common, common annoyances, just like in any job. What I enjoy about it is the storytelling aspect. Mm. I love being part of, I love the mixture of, of creativity and technology And I love being part of that creative process, which is one of the reasons I love pre-production because you're all sitting around with a set of storyboards or an animatic or a bit of previs, or you're working on a bit of previs and figuring out how best to tell that story. That's all, you know, and how, and, and technically what, what the, um, uh, what the requirements will be in order to, to tell that story effectively to create that shot, you know, Mm-hmm. And that is wonderfully exciting. Um, and working with all those tremendously creative and talented people <laughs> yeah. never grows old. You know, you know I think I, you know, and, and that resonates with me as well. I, I do like being able to solve problems. And I, just as you were just saying that, it, it, I think you remember the scene in Apollo 13 um, when they're trapped up in space and they they don't have uh, they can't create oxygen or they can't filter the oxygen, yeah. The guy comes in who's ahead of the the space program, whatever. He throws out all the pieces and parts that are in the spacecraft. Yeah. They, they hey, this is what they're working with. We need to figure out how to create a filter to help create oxygen. And, yeah. And you need to do it, and you know like now <laughs> so yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I love that scene you're just throwing all of these things out on the table and then hey everybody let's get to work we've got something that we all got to do and we got to do it 
let's let's just get together and and make it happen so yeah yeah and when you get a room full of some of the best people in the industry and you've got all those brains solving the problem oh yeah that's exciting chemistry it's very exciting it is some fun energy to be around for sure yeah well now let's flip it let's unless you're still sorry no, I just, I just was going to add that, you know, I get the same, I get the same satisfaction and excitement um, during post sitting with the, sitting with the editors and with the editorial team and figuring out how we're going to do something as well. You know, these are the raw materials that we've got. This is what we've shot. These are the assets that we've built digitally. How are we going to make this work now that we've got a cut and we know how, you know, it needs to go together based on that cut. So you get a kind of a second hit at that excitement working with the editors and the director in post-production as well. Well, yeah, that's kind of what you said too when you were at Avatar. You, you were actually watching the stuff that, that said, wow, did we, is, we really did this kind of stuff? This is something yeah. we created? So you're right. That's kind of neat to be able to have, to have that uh, that same type of experience. So it's a different, it's a different kind of approach or a different set of circumstances, but you still kind of get the same, the same energy. Um, yeah, to just absolutely. Really, kind of see what you're doing, um, or what everybody's doing as a team. So well, and so like I said, now let's flip it. Obviously, there's like with anything, um, there's things that just that come along with the territory that you just have to just bear up and go yes. <laughs> and endure. <laughs> I think, I mean, the toughest, the toughest part of a visual effects producer's job, and this is the thing that's the, you know, if I could say that there was something I didn't enjoy, although even in terms of this, it, it's a challenge that I kind of enjoy rising to, but there is that push and pull between mm-hmm. what is practical and what is creatively desirable. So um, the director will be asking for some crazy ass thing that he's dreamt up <laughs> and you know that with, you don't have the time to do it or the budget to do it and somebody has to deliver that news to the director, you know. <laughs> so you can get, you know, when you're working with a bunch of professionals on a, a feature film, they all get it too. They know it's your job to deliver the film on time, you know, the visual effects on time and on budget. But you can sometimes struggle to get them to, to, to be on the same page as you when, when you know, create some creative thing is at stake. Yeah. And the director will keep on and on, and the editors to some extent too, will we'll push and push and push for more and more and more. And you become the bad cop who has to say no quite a lot of the time. And that's kind of tough. <laughs> well, yeah, I can imagine. So, I mean, I guess it's just how you approach. And I mean, this is, this is kind of a lot of questions in one here um, that, you know, it takes a certain type of person to a be able to have the courage to you know have the thick skin to go in and and not draw the line but just like you say just these are the facts that push and pull and yes. then what happens when you do get that friction and you don't get the results and then there's the you've got to work through and again it's a very creative environment it's not like you know we're building bridges and streets and hospitals but it's it's still, you know, people are getting paid to do what they're, you know, doing, um, and it gets stressful. Uh, and I think that is that something that 
you know you've learned? Um, is it something you think there's a specific skill that's inherent into a personality, or can those things uh, be be taught and be learned? Um, um, I think it's. Uh, I think they can be learned. You know, I think um, I uh, over the years have grown a very thick skin. <laughs> When, when it comes to that kind of conflict and you realize that all you're doing is your job and it, it is what you're being paid to do is to deliver this looking as good as it possibly can mm -hmm. on budget and on schedule and you may make yourself unpopular with some of the, the creatives possibly the director mm -hmm. somewhere along the way but at the end of the day when everything is delivered and nobody is getting beaten up about being over budget and everything <laughs> looks great. You're the hero, you know? Exactly. <laughs> Take those wins. <laughs> yeah. So I think, you know, you just, you, you, you do have to be pretty brave to be an effective visual effects producer. Some of that will come with experience. Some of it will come with, uh, just having, you know, a professional attitude saying, this is my job and I have to do it no matter what. And some kind of inherent, I hesitate to say it because it sounds like I'm flattering myself, you know, <laughs> but a sort of a leadership quality. You have, to, you have to have some kind of leadership quality in order to be able to take your team with you through that process. And, and hold your own in, in those sometimes difficult conversations about the push and pull of budget and, and creativity. No, I, Mara, I appreciate you, you know, saying that. I really do. I mean, a lot of people don't like to toot their own horn as far as what, what their capabilities are. But, you know, I, I think that's very important. I think that's, again, you being able to say that is just a part of, again, it's a, exemplifying that you do have that leadership kind of uh, role or that, that personality to do something like that. And I think it's something that really is, you know, people do need to hear that, that, that it, you do need to get thick skin. You do need to, you know, do things that you're not comfortable with doing, facing your fears and, you know, growing and, and maturing from those experiences. Yeah. I think, you know, the thing, the thing about being about leadership is that uh, it doesn't even matter if the decisions that you make or are making aren't always correct, aren't always the right ones. What leadership does is it keeps everybody moving forward. And yeah. when you have a tight deadline, which you inevitably do on any feature film for delivery or for the end of the shoot or in order to start the shoot, mm -hmm. you just have to keep moving forward. You can always backtrack and, and pick up your, you know, your mistakes or decisions that perhaps weren't perfect at the time, but mm -hmm. you definitely have to keep moving forward. And um, great yeah. point. Yeah. You have to make a decision. You just make an educated decision based on the facts that are there and, you know, don't hesitate at some point you're going to have to make that. And then if it's the right or wrong decision, you, you, you learn from either one. And correct. Yes. Yeah, but you're right because the clock is ticking. Yes. <laughs> it's just, yes. <laughs> well, we're coming up to um, another break here. We're talking tomorrow, Brian, and uh, we'll be right back.
Hi, everybody. We're back with Mara Bryan. Um, we were just discussing the the good and bad or pros and cons and um, of um, of her role as a producer. And so now we're going to go into uh, an interesting part that I always enjoy, just because everybody has different tolerances and different experiences of of just being in the industry. Because um, you just never know what's going to happen. You do have scripted days, but you know sometimes things just go off the rails. And <laughs> it's interesting just to uh-huh. hear hear some people's stories about some of the crazy things they've had uh, happen to them or they've been involved with just by happenstance. But uh, does, does anything come to mind that you'd like to share? Without um, telling some of the uh, incriminating stories that are hysterically funny, but I couldn't possibly. Um, I, think, I think the funniest thing that I ever worked on and the craziest thing that I ever worked on was a zombie sheep horror splatter movie <laughs> low budget uh, wait a minute wait <laughs> let me back a zombie sheep horror, horror. so sheep. <laughs> okay. yeah. all right explain <laughs> it was i was back in new zealand and i just got back and somebody handed me this script called black sheep <laughs> and said um we think there are a bunch of visual effects in here we have no money uh would could could I help? So I went through and started doing a breakdown from the script, and I was crying with laughter reading the script. It was just the funniest <laughs> thing I'd ever read. So I rang the producer and I said, "Look, I don't know how much money you've got, but whatever it is, I'll I'll make it work. And furthermore, I'll do it for free because this is going to be so much fun." And we went. We did an eight-week shoot. Weta Workshop did all the zombie sheep and the blood and the guts because there was a tremendous amount of killing in the movie okay, yeah mm-hmm. we, we drove around the countryside for eight weeks with one camera and a, and a truck full of prosthetic guts and body parts <laughs> and <laughs> it was it was the most fun i've ever had on the shoot <laughs> it is, that's one of those that you can't wait to go to work the next day <laughs> oh, it was just, I mean, I did it for nothing. It was just, it was just so much fun. Oh my. So now is that an actual released movie? Can, uh, can we, oh, yes. can we see it's called Black Sheep? Was that, it's actually, uh, the title of the show is Black Sheep? Yes. Okay. Yes. It's called Black Sheep. Yeah. That, it was, that's on my list to watch in my, my quarantine. It's, it's <laughs> tremendously funny. You'll, you'll enjoy it. I can recommend it. <laughs> It's amazing how much you can achieve with a small amount of money. Um, you have to be twice as organized as, as if, uh, if, if you don't have very much money. Mm-hmm. You know, we had an eight week shoot. I was allowed a second camera to shoot visual effects for one day. Whoa. So exciting. Wow. <laughs> Jeez, that's great. You can jump in there and need to do that if anybody asks you to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. So we'd really like to transition into, you know, kind of the nuts and bolts things. And there, there's some things that I, I do want to talk to you about. Um, you know, obviously, what do you recommend? And you don't have to answer them in this order, but I do want to touch on them. Um, obviously, the industry is changing quite a bit. Obviously, you te- uh, mentioned just technology alone. Um, you know, I've been in the industry and I've dealt with producers. Even now, looking at the show, you're my second female interviewee on the show. 
So yeah. gender equality is, is not something for the film industry, sadly, still to be proud of. Um, and visual effects, uh, camera departments, visual effects, there's all sorts of departments where we need to do a little bit more for gender equality. For some reason, visual effects seems to be worse than, than a lot of other departments. And uh, especially in senior roles, mm -hmm. women are underrepresented. Senior technical and creative roles, women are uh, underrepresented. And uh, part of this, you know, may have to do with shooting hours, which are fairly brutal. And, you know, when I became a parent, I had to give up being a visual mm. effects supervisor or working as a freelancer um, mm -hmm. because it's almost impossible to, to be a parent and hold down that job. Mm. So that may have something to do with it, but, you know, we really have some catching up to do as an industry with, with gender equality. I know that, you know, having spoken to an animation supervisor friend of mine recently and said, why have you not got, you know, why have you only got three women animators and, and 60 male animators? Mm -hmm. He said, I don't know. I'd be happy to hire women, but they're not applying. So somewhere, mm -hmm. somewhere back in the education system, there's something, you know, the, the, the industry, the visual effects industry is not being offered up as, as a possibility equally to women and men i'm not sure but it's something i would dearly love us to get to the bottom of you're right i mean even with the supervisor role um you know I've, i don't think that i don't recall in in my time in the industry of working for a visual effects supervisor who was female and you know i'm just looking to see well you know again why is that why is the question i think that's a very good point as far as like you know shooting hours and you know, I, I talk to colleagues that when we're off on a shoot, I, I typically don't go for, you know, the 13 weeks or the full production. I kind of zip in and zip out whenever I'm needed. Yeah. But, uh, but I could see that, you know, it is, it's difficult to be away from family for three months, um, depending yeah. on, on a shoot. But, um, but I'm also looking at, you know, what's the diff what's that lag time between a production? You know, so that, you know, there's always some way that I think you're a great example and maybe a good inspiration is that, you know, being able to do a lot of different things so that, you know, when you are in the position where you are raising um, a young family, that you do things more oriented that uh, you can kind of control your own hours and you can kind of make that transition and keep contacts in the industry and then transition as you as your family grows and matures and your situation changes that you're you're equipped to kind of go with that and and kind of make yes i think decisions. you know one thing i would say to any um budding visual effects production people visual effects producers and by crikey we need them you know <laughs> um, there aren't enough good visual effects production people out there they're always in demand at the moment in, in mm -hmm. this country is that you know, the big visual effects houses now have become much more family friendly because at some strategic point, they, they realized they were losing a tremendous number of very talented and very experienced people because the mothers, um, particularly <clears throat> within the company, couldn't do the hours. They couldn't do the weekends. They had to go to 
medical appointments with children to school yep. concerts, you know, yep. they need shorter hours during, during school holidays, whatever, whatever the concessions need to be made. And they started a lot of those big companies now allow job sharing and flexible hours. And it's, you know, it's much more family friendly. The shoot, the, the actual productions, the shoots are, are now the most brutal. Yeah. And, and it's tougher to recommend to anybody who wants to have a family life to, to be on that side, to be on the, on the production side. But of course, you know, as you say, it's, it, it, you, you can move from one to the other, as I have. You, you can do a stint on the productions. You can go and then work within a visual effects house for a more sort of manageable lifestyle if you need to. There's, there's so much crossover. Right. Right. I think that's, that's key. I think, um, and again, I, I, I do really want to re, you know, emphasize that, um, you know, to the listeners is that, it, and it, it came up in some other conversations too. It's just having this, this willingness to really, you know, put yourself out there and just say, be willing to take on new roles, be willing to take on things that are, are difficult, um, be willing to express your situation and how you can work around a situation and again, it, you, you've said it before, and I, it's just kind of ringing true to me. It's a push-pull, right? It, you just, it, everything, there's a give and take. And, yeah. and if you've got a talent and then you're being asked to do something, you know, obviously there's, there's going to be push-pull. You know, you can control a lot of it to the point, but I think it's more of attitude and um, just having some foresight. And then also, again, kind of talking to people like yourself, people who've done it and people yeah. who who've kind of blazed that trail ahead so you don't have to, you know, have as many as the hurdles as, as you know, someone like us who've, who, who've been around the block and got our nose bloodied a couple of times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're wrong. yeah. So, I mean, I guess that's kind of my advice too, but what, what would you, um, again, kind of elaborating on what you mentioned earlier about giving advice to up-and-coming people, you know, whether it's a, a male or female, you know, coming up in the industry, what, what I, I was thinking, I was thinking about this, um, after first speaking to you that, you know, the really, as far as I'm aware in this country, there aren't any production specific courses within mm -hmm. educational, uh, institutions for, for visual effects. There are courses for animators. There are courses for compositors. Mm -hmm. There are, but there are no cor uh, courses for production. And I think this. So you you are expected to be self-taught. And a lot yeah. of people these days come up through the ranks. Hey everybody, sorry about that. Looks like we lost Mara. Uh, we're going to try to get her back, but uh, stay with us while we take this quick break. So Mara, hi, you're back with me. Um, sorry, we are working through these technical issues, but I think we resolved it right now. So Seems like it. Seems fingers, like it. Fingers Keep crossed. It, fingers yeah. crossed. So... We're, what we were talking about, and I got it just kind of written down, what advice can we give people? And we started to get into the education. And your last comment was that there is, there's no courses for, 
for production focused. There are for, for compositors and there are for animators. And, um, and, and yes, we don't know if there is any type of criteria or any type of uh, training here in the, in the States or in the UK. But um, not uh, certainly none that I'm aware of. And I think, you know, uh, it's been a process of evolution as the scope of visual effects, digital visual effects has grown within film and television. Mm -hmm. uh, the importance of production has increased. There's more to organize and strategize and budget, you know, and, and the, the financial component uh, that visual effects form of any TV series now or or feature film is so much larger. So mm -hmm. um, the need for experienced and and and, a, and high quality visual effects production people is on the increase. So I cannot believe that eventually or quite soon, hopefully, there won't be a structured set of um, educational courses available. Right. Um, and certainly, you know, uh, in the UK, well, not currently, but up until very recently, and, and hopefully after we get back to some kind of normalcy, the, the demand for visual effects production people far outstrips uh, the avail availability of those people. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a desperate need for people to, to come into this area, you yeah. know. Exactly. Yeah. I, it's going to be really interesting too, that, you know, what, what is the, what's the face of production going to look like now? <clears throat> uh, I know there's a, you know, with all of the, the social distancing and, and everything that's happening now with, with the current state of affairs is, is that, you know, how is that going to, to affect, you know, big shoots? Is there going to be a lot of crew uh, and a lot of people? Uh, is it going to be the same as it was? You know, are there going to be, and reflecting back on that article we, we talked about, I don't know if we talked about that on, on air, but it was just interesting to see how that is going to change the demand for talent. And, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, one of the things that, that crops up um, in that article, and funnily enough, uh, I was talking to a colleague this morning, uh, post-production supervisor, and we were talking about the fact that nobody is going to be able to shoot on location for quite a long time. Mm -hmm. um, and you're probably not even going to be able to send a plate unit out to location. You know, nobody's going to be traveling. So everything's going to be studio based. Right. And I said to him, oh, to be a digital map painter at this point, you know, there's going to be, <laughs> <laughs> there's going to be so much, uh, so many studio shoots that will, will require um, or rely heavily on visual effects techniques, you know, creating backgrounds, shooting green screen, mm -hmm. maybe, you know, as we sort of touched on when we were talking Mandalorian style, virtual environments played out on LED screens. Mm -hmm. um, all, that, all that sort of technology may come into its own, you know, there may be a huge demand for it. Yeah, I, I think that's, yeah, I mean, and just how fast is, is that going to be able to, you know, ramp up to be able to support it's, it? Gosh, it's really, it's exciting, but it's also kind of terrifying at the same time, just to see how, how it's, it's a complete paradigm shift. It seems like it's coming in, but you know, will it, will it get back to normal? I, I'm assuming it would. I mean, obviously things just kind of dull in our mind after a while, but 
you know, these are some marked changes that are going to really affect. And, <sighs> but, you know, with that, there's always opportunity, you know, it's, um, well, I think, I think the whole um, virtual production area has, has been uh, on the increase in, in terms of uptake anyway. And, you know, um, not wanting to jump the gun, but, you no, know, no. The, the last question that we, talk, we talked about um, me addressing was, you know, where do I see my own sort of career or future going? And uh, the whole area of virtual production, which is such a broad you know, umbrella term and, and, and encompasses so many different techniques mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> is what really excites me now. You know, the whole sort of game engine rendering, doing things in real time um, and virtual scouting and, you know, simulcam and virtual camera work and all, all those sorts of techniques. Mm -hmm. um, everybody's built, all the big visual effects houses have been either using some level of that or are developing it you know people are talking about fast rendering and the possibility of of rendering tv in real time and eventually you know feature films and all that i find tremendously exciting and and it plays into the whole situation that that we find ourselves potentially how that will all come together and be structured who who even <laughs> knows but um, <clears throat> You I know, think, I th oh, go ahead. Sorry, I, I think there's definitely uh, going to be, you know, the film television industry is going to be relying on visual effects and virtual production techniques to to plug some gaps for the sort of medium term future. I, I yeah, I agree. I, I just, it, it, my mind's racing now again too, just thinking of all the scenarios and all of the. Um, you know, it, like you said, even with technologies, there, there's going to be somebody is going to step up and and just fill that gap. You know, like you said, where 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 we have our shortcomings now, where the the hinge pins are, the hinge points are that are the pinch points, and it's it's all about bandwidth. You know, look at the struggle we're having, just you know, trying to communicate. Uh, you know, just recording a podcast, and it um, someone's going to come up with some sort of technology that is going to be able to do virtual rendering it's going to be able to do real-time rendering and push that data to make it work um yeah you yeah because we're working with technology now i think i've i told you just you know being able to push a, a six billion point point cloud in virtual reality um you right. know, just a couple of years ago we couldn't do that and but you know now That's we're we're getting there and i think that opportunity what is it necessity is is the mother of invention of invention, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, so I think it's it's going to be really neat to see um, how that's going to go. I mean, so in your again, just kind of in your brain, in your mind, how what is a scenario you think would would kind of spark this? Would it be at the studio level? Is it going to be maybe maybe even somebody um, more of a vendor uh, or a VFX house? Do you you know kind of taking on? Taking on well, that or where the studio is going to just point somebody to say, "Hey, figure this out for us," or if somebody comes with a solution, I don't know. I'm just trying to. I mean, I think I think a lot of this um, is being maybe not driven, but certainly uh, helped along by the games companies. You know, uh, yeah, um, That's a good Unity point. and Epic, Unreal Engine. 
mm -hmm. are very keen to, to push their technology out into uh, film and, and television and are collaborating very closely with the, with the larger visual effects houses. And now this has not escaped people at the studios, particularly some of the larger streaming services, beginning with N, um, yes. <laughs> who, who have, uh, you know, who, who are building uh, the, these kinds of technologies and um, uh, fast rendering mm -hmm. into their whole sort of master plan, you know. Uh, to try and future-proof their, their productions and and also, you know, it, it hasn't potentially has has benefit uh, economically in terms of production. Mm -hmm. So, I think it's I think everybody is starting to collaborate. That the last people to be on board with this will be traditional filmmakers, you know, yeah. but even even some of those, you know, DPs are, are looking at the virtual production techniques, the, the LED walls that have been set up as permanent fixtures in LA and reading about, about other DPs using this technology and all the rest of it, and all, you know, mad keen to jump on board with this and yeah. use these techniques. So I think it's coming from, it's the, you know, there's a general awareness, but I think the availability of virtual production techniques will be driven by the the companies like Unity and, and Epic and in collaboration with, with visual effects vendors. Yeah. And that's happening all over the place, you know. Yeah, I'm just thinking um, about, you know, we were having this discussion, you know, maybe even just a, a couple of years ago about how, you know, looking at what we do as far as collecting data with, with our LiDAR and with our cameras and, um, and, and then it's very rich data. It's very heavy data, but it's still, you know, it still needs to be modeled. It still needs to be retopoed and then retextured. And so there's a lot of work that's going on behind the scenes. Even though you have the geometry, there's still a lot of, a lot of work that needs to be done. And I think that's what we were saying earlier that there is a need for that. I think, and it'll be more so, uh, especially kind of in the previs aspect of things, getting things quickly out you know yeah. um, so I'm just thinking you know again it there's there seems to be a huge opportunity for you know people uh, like we've touched on before for the animators compositors and modelers to to really be a, I think that's going to be a, a top heavy or there's going to be a real need to fill those things like you said just a few minutes ago and so. yes, and that, that extends all the way into sort of concept and art department as well. You know, when you're talking True. about virtual production, you're talking about a virtual art department. So you're talking about um, artists working within Unreal, for example, not wanting to push any piece of software more than another, but um, uh, and, and being able to create Unreal scenes and manipulate assets and effects within unreal scenes that render in real time you know the yeah. there this is going to become quite a big component of what we used to think of as pre it already is you know what we used to think of as previs yeah. which is now turning into something much more much more continuous with the production process and not a standalone you know previs is no longer a 
needs to be a standalone uh, part of the, the pre-production process. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, the good thing about one of the things I would say to people trying to get into the industry, whether, whether it's within, from production or as an artist or whatever, is there is a tremendous amount online in terms of uh, learning resources. Epic yeah. put out all sorts of different uh, free online training courses and, and uh, software demos. And there is a tremendous amount out there and people should really take advantage of that, you know. That's a great point. Just take advantage of, of you know the the downtime, and there is there there are resources that comes to mind too. Like there's like VFX PhD. I think there's they're an online um, group that just uh, has all kinds of classes and courses in all the software like Houdini and um, the Foundry softwares packages. So yeah, I, I think there's there's tons of opportunity to to um, take advantage of it without really investing a lot of money right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, Absolutely. Well, I mean, what, what an interesting time we're, we're obviously in and getting into, I mean, it, it is, it's really exciting. It, it's, it's going to be neat to see where, where this all goes, but you know, it's, it's not going to go without, you know, there's going to be collateral damage out there and, you know, it's unfortunate just to see as the dust settles, where, where, where do we stand and then where do we go from here? Um, yes, I think it is just a question of, of figuring it out um, because there is no doubt that uh, there is going to be as much, if not more, demand for content than there has been, you know, pr- uh, up till now. Yeah. Um, and that there's, a, there's a backlog now of of productions that were supposed to have started by now mm-hmm. um that are going to be mad keen to hit the ground running as soon as they possibly can in whatever form or however you know that needs to be arranged but people are already talking in this country i've, I've joined a couple of industry facebook groups and people are already talking about uh demand outstripping supply in terms of crew um, and that's all the way from sort of art department through visual effects through you know the whole the whole gamut of of um, film and television crews. So it'll be interesting to see how it all unfolds. But I, you know, in the short term, it's tough for a bunch of people in the industry. A lot of us are freelancers, and the financial packages and respective countries don't necessarily cover everybody. But I think. In the medium term, I don't think any of us are going to be short of work. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're right. I think it's just just being open and just being, you know, you know again, all, all the th- things that we've talked about of, of, you know, experience and we're going to need leaders. We're going to need people that are going to be out there being able to make decisions and <laughs> and, and adapt as well. Think yeah. laterally and, and adapt. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I think the last thing, and we kind of hit on it, um, you know, intermittently through the through the podcast. But is there anything that just as we go here, kind of a send off to anybody? What what any last uh, advice? Um, I think I think if if I could have a parting shot, it would be to do with the fact that in senior creative, and and we've touched on this you and I uh, already but in senior senior technical and creative roles in the film industry Mm -hmm. there is still a huge 
gender imbalance. And I think we are in a position now because the demand outstrips the supply in terms of crew, in yep. visual effects particularly, but in terms of all film crew really, to be able to mitigate some of the things that have kept women out of the industry. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about being a parent particularly. You know, I have been in the fortunate position and on a couple of films recently where the producers have wanted me, you know, to do the film and I've said, well, I, I, I would love to do it, but I can't go on location. I have, a, you know, a young child at school and I mm-hmm. cannot go away for three, and I'm a single parent, I can't go away for three weeks. Right. And they've, they've said, well, can't you hire somebody to go for you? And I've said, yes, I, I can do that. And hmm. that, that kind of flexibility, a few years ago, when there were um, more jobs and uh, more people than there were jobs available, yeah. wasn't an option. But it's the fact, the fact that, it, that it is our market now means that we can, we have got the opportunity to restructure it at some level in order that women can actually participate in equal numbers. And that I would really like to see. It, it's, it's a perfect time for change. I think it's going to be a lot more, a lot more friendly environment to, to do that. I think that this is really a great, a great platform and a, a good time to, you know, I guess start waving that banner. I think it's going to be really exciting to, to yeah. see if we can equal out the gender, the gender bias. That the, would be great. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah, I think <laughs> it's, so. I mean, we're, we're all learning here. So this is, this is wonderful. So, um, but Mara, I, I just would love to continue to talk with you. Um, I it just, it's just great to exchange. That's iron striking iron. I'm learning so much, um, you know, from, everything that I've been been discussing with you. So it's, I, I appreciate the education um, that I'm receiving from all of this. <laughs> oh, <laughs> golly. Pleasure. <laughs> so, um, but Mara, uh, thank you. Uh, I don't know if there's anything else we can say. We're going to add some uh, stuff to the show notes. Um, we'll add that link to the article that we were discussing. Uh, and if anybody uh, yes. wants to reach out to, to Mara, Mara, we'll talk about whatever specifics that you would like people to see and uh, hopefully we'll we'll have another chance to talk again um we can maybe do a recap here in a few months just to see how things are progressing that would be that would be interesting wouldn't it yeah yeah. i'd love to do that no that would be that would be lovely yeah all right well mara thank you again for coming on the show and um you know take care of yourself and hopefully you get back to work all of us get back to work here sooner than later Absolutely. Well, thanks for asking me. It's been a pleasure.